All right, so the way I'm going to approach this this morning is uh, we, we've been talking about these parables of Jesus. And they, um, the, the, so the first thing I want to do is, is what is a parable? Uh, we should understand, anytime you look at the scriptures, you first should understand what type of teaching it is. What kind of, what kind of uh, words are they? The second thing you have to understand is who that teaching or that passage was actually intended for in its original audience. So this passage has an original audience, has an original context, has a historical context. And then thirdly, what do we in 2023 do with a passage like this? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the nature of this teaching, what the immediate context with this teaching was, and then what we're supposed to do with it. All right, so let's first talk about what this type of teaching is. This is called a parable. And it says that in the very first verse, and Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, a parable very simply is a story used to illustrate a moral or religious lesson. This is one of Jesus's favorite ways of teaching. So you have to ask why? Why did Jesus use this form of teaching? Because this form of teaching, as you can see from the story, it feels a little bit extreme. It's a little bit embellished. It's a, it's a made-up story that's meant to, to, to share some deeper points. Why would Jesus do that? Well, it's straightforward and simple if, you're, if you can hear it. And he would often say things to his audience. Let him who has ears hear. Well, the obvious, that, I mean, like, well, you're human, so you have two ears. I can hear. He wasn't getting at sound issues. He was getting at heart issues. And every parent and grandparent in this room knows how this goes. Uh, you know, you go into your house, you go, all right, kids, it's time to go to school. I want everybody to pick up your toys, wrap up the breakfast, put your shoes on, we're headed out. Nobody does anything. They keep playing their toys. They keep doing their thing. I'm not sure if you heard me. It's time to go. Everybody get your coat. Let's go, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, as a dad of four, I, I had this, you know, dilemma every, with every one of my kids. And so, uh, one year, I tried to do an experiment, all right? So this is the way the experiment went. All right, kids, time to go. No, no, do it. Who wants a cookie? Boom, all four kids, right into the room. And I said, ah, we don't have a hearing problem. We have a heart problem. And that's exactly what the parables do for humans is we don't have a hearing problem. We have a heart problem. And our desire to hear what Jesus is saying is often muddied by our hard-heartedness. And so Jesus would use parables particularly to get at those who were self-righteous. You know this experience about yourself and others you've encountered. Self-righteous people always want to parse out things. They want to get the details just right. They want to work through the process. They want to, oh, wait, did you mean this? Did you mean that? And Jesus spoke in these parables to sort of uncover that sort of hard-heartedness. So he told these very simple stories that we call parables. So we have one here. So what is the immediate context? This is a parable told to a group of people. As, we, as, we've, as we've seen, Matthew chapter 21 starts what, what is called the triumphal entry. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And if you just look at the, the, the dates or the, the days of the week of this, from Matthew 21 to the, the 26 and 27 where he is, uh, uh, is crucified and raises is just seven days. So this whole section of scripture is just seven days. And within that context, he 
comes into Jerusalem. He has this encounter with the, the religious leaders who start to question his authority, and he teaches them in parables. So we've looked at several of those parables, and now we're at this one. This parable was mainly given to the self-righteous religious leaders, but no doubt there was a broader audience there. Now think about this. Jesus has come in on a, on a cult. They have laid branches at his feet. They have called him uh, the ki- king from David's throne. They have worshiped him. The authorities have challenged his thing. And he says, if, if these people stopped praising me, the rocks would cry out. And he raises the level of, of his authority. They question his authority. And then he, then he gives these parables. And then the story goes on and climaxes at the crucifixion and the resurrection. And think about this. The cross and the resurrection are without question the most dividing story history has ever known. Here's what I mean. A self-righteous person who had heard these parables of Jesus and felt him sort of attacking their self-righteousness, at the cross, they would have felt really vindicated. I knew that guy was a charlatan. I knew he didn't know what he was talking about. I knew he was getting all of us. He just cloaked all of us and look at him. He's crucified. And they even mocked him as king of the Jews. What would have happened to those folks at the resurrection? Oh no. He really was the son of God. Oh my. I have aligned myself against God. And what did those self-righteous people do? They concocted cockamamie stories about a stolen body and a half-dead person because they're self-righteous. They can't hear the simple truths. But what about those that did hear? What about those that had moldable and soft hearts? How How would they have responded at the crucifixion? Oh, no. I gave my life to this guy. He healed me. He, he healed my friend. He taught me things I didn't know. Was he lying? What, was I deceived? Was I in disillusion? And they spent that Saturday in utter turmoil inwardly going, what have I done? But how would have they received the resurrection? Oh, yes, it is true. Everything he said is right. He is the son of God. I'll give my life for him. And that's exactly what those soft-hearted, tender believers did as they died martyrs' deaths because they believed the resurrection was true. And so these parables were Jesus setting up this dividing line the cross and the resurrection would have on that society in that moment. So these parables were weighty, and they would become more weighty as time would go on. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's look at this parable and see what he said to those folks in that day and time. Let's, let's, let's talk about the parable. All right, starting with verse two. Let's read it together. Two through six. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. What's happening here? He's simply saying the king invited people to the wedding banquet of his son. What we need to know is Jesus is talking about God the Father inviting people to the wedding banquet of himself. And so God has invited everyone 
to come to this wedding feast. And he starts with the servants going out to the people who are invited. Well, they start giving up the excuses. I got to go to my farm. I got to go to my business. I don't have any time for that wedding banquet of the, of the king and his son. But then Jesus kind of jumps over to this. Then they start killing the servants. Whoa, that's kind of a leap. But remember, this is a parable. This story didn't really happen. Jesus is trying to tell you something. And he's totally saying, you got for, for centuries and millenniums, God has been sending his prophets to tell you about this banquet. And you killed them all. You killed the prophets. And eventually you're going to kill the true prophet, the son of God. So he's setting that up saying, the ones who were invited, you either made excuses or you killed the people who were heralding about this, this kingdom, this, this, this banquet that was come. Let's keep reading. The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all they could find, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The king is angry. I want people to come to the to the wedding banquet of my son. And he starts a war. Like, again, like, whoa, Jesus. Again, this story didn't really happen, but he's saying, listen, this is the seriousness. This king will be so angry, he will incite a geopolitical war on those who refuse this kingdom. So he sends his servants back out, go find people in the roads, invite them all. And he intentionally says, in the face of these religious leaders, these servants went out and found bad and good people. Because the self-righteous, well, only the good people get to go to the king's banquet. And here the king clearly invites bad and good. And this is Jesus actually greasing the tracks for the Gentiles being invited to this banquet, which we know was one of the key moments in all of church history when Peter sees that, that blanket of unclean food coming down and he realizes, oh, this gospel is for the entire world. All the nations should come because the king is inviting bad and good, which is such good news for us, right? The, the Pharisees and the religious leaders would have heard him say bad and good. Like, no, 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 no. You don't mean those harlots and those tax collectors and those drug dealers and those other people, right? You don't mean them, just the, the, the religious people. He very intentionally uses a parable to say, no, they found good and bad because the king wants his hall filled with invitees. All right, let's finish the parable. But when the king came in, verse 11, to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the other outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Here's what Jesus is saying. Some of you have gotten real interested in all that's been going on. You've seen the miracles. You saw me walk on water. You saw me feed the 5,000. You, you hear rumors of a revolt against Rome, and you've come to the wedding banquet. You've, in, you've accepted the invitation, except you came in your own clothes. You didn't come clothed in my garments or garments appropriate for this banquet. Why are you here? 
This would have been so cutting to those folks. These folks have kind of gotten up against the movement. Hey, I kind of like this. This, this is kind of cool. People are following this Messiah and, and maybe he's gonna overthrow Rome. Maybe he's gonna do some, some, some more of those magic tricks and, and all this stuff will happen. But you know what? I'm not gonna give my life to him. And Jesus calls them out and says, you have to come to the banquet in the clothes that are appropriate for this banquet. And many scholars say that what happened in these cultural times is the, is the king or the host of these type wedding banquets like this actually provided the wedding garments for people. So here, wear this to the, to, the, to the banquet. This is what everybody's gonna be wearing. And they would have rejected the garments. I wanna come on my own terms. I wanna come in my own clothes. And Jesus rebukes them. And he says he kicks them out and binds them and sends them out to a place of weeping and gnashing. Again, a classic overstating of the situation to prove a point. You do not understand that rejecting the invitation and coming ill-dressed to this thing will send you to an eternal separation from the king himself. All right. A parable given to a group of people in a historical context. It's very simple to understand if you'll hear it. And that's where this applies to us today. Because this parable, as we know, all scripture is God-breathed. The Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and active. We do not have a dead document. The only reason the, the Bible might appear dead to you is your own heart or the way it's been delivered to you. Make no mistake, the word of God is living and active. So it was active in that day, it's active today. It is as actively doing the will of God. What are we to do with this story today? And let me make it very simple. This story says two things. One, when the king invites you, go. Go, accept the invitation. The second thing, make sure you're dressed rightly. Make sure you have appropriate clothes on. All right, let's finish by talking about what does that mean. First, when the king invites, go. How does the king invite us to the wedding banquet of his son? Well, there's two ways. One is an external call, and the other is an internal call. First, the external. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1.20, his invisible attributes seen in creation are there and they are without excuse. So even if we just start with the testimony of creation, it screams there is a God who has a banquet that he's inviting all of creation to come to. But then there's the more specific call of the proclamation, Romans 10. How can they believe in whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them or proclaiming to them. Isaiah 52, seven, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, this, there's an external call that goes out, just like in the parable, come to the wedding banquet of the king. He is inviting you to come. And the simple message of this thing is go, accept the invitation. Don't get hung up on your questions. Don't get hung up on your burdens. Don't get up, hung up on a host of things. We'll get to in a second. Go respond to the external call. But that external call is matched with an internal call. There's a famous story about John Wesley. You know, John Wesley, 
is the, the founder of uh, the sort of the Wesleyan theology Methodist Asbury Seminary and University is is based under under this and and this is this is what this is what historians have written about the evening that John Wesley became a Christian. Listen to this. That evening, he reluctantly attended a meeting in Aldersgate. This was in London. Not, we do have an Aldersgate in Irvine, uh, which is a cool place. Uh, but it's named after this. That whole place in Irvine, Kentucky, is named after this location that Wesley met Christ. Someone read from Luther's preface to the epistle to Romans at about 845 while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even my sins, and saved me from the law of sin and death. One of the best examples of that internal call. He heard the external call to come to, the, to, the, to Christ, to come and have your sins forgiven, to join God the Father at the wedding banquet of the Son, and he felt it strangely warm in his being. He responded to that internal call of the Holy Spirit through conviction and conscience. I'll never forget several years ago, uh, I, was, I was sharing my faith with a baseball player at the University of West Georgia. And this guy was legendary in his, in his popularity. He was, he was a great second baseman, middle end for the page shortstop too. And he was also legendary for fighting. He would win every bar fight that he ever got in. And for some reason, he showed up one night at our campus meeting. And I was sharing, I was proclaiming the gospel at, at our campus meeting. And he came up to me after, he said, hey man, you've got an interesting story. I'd like to, can, I, can we go to lunch? I said, sure. His name was Peanut. I said, sure, Peanut. Uh, why don't, we, uh, why, don't we, why don't we grab lunch tomorrow? And so for nine straight weeks, I met with Peanut. And he asked me every question you can imagine, from what happens to babies when they die to what about the Jehovah Witnesses and everything in between. And so I'd, you know, I'd show up and hit, you know, at these wing places and these Mexican places and McDonald's and you know, and eating all these you know, real wholesome meals. And, and I'd answer Peanut's questions. <coughs> Excuse me. Week 10... I woke up that morning, I was like, you know what? I'm not answering his questions anymore. He's gonna answer mine. So we went to McDonald's, we sat down, he pulled out his, his little thing, he said, hey, all right, here's my question. I said, Peanut, I'm not gonna ask your questions anymore. He said, really? He said, yeah, he said, you're gonna answer mine. I said, I think that you've asked questions for nine straight weeks because you're afraid to come to Jesus. You like your popularity. You like living on the fringes out here of religion. There's some religious cool people you like. You like your life over here. And I'm telling you, the only reason you're asking these questions is you're trying to deflect what you know God's doing in your heart and asking you to come to him. And I was kind of waiting for that, you know, that fighter in him to come out and like, don't hit me, you know. Like, he didn't. And two weeks later, on Easter Sunday, listening to Charles Stanley preach on his TV in his apartment, he bowed his knee to Jesus. Friend, the call is external. The call is internal. Are you listening? Is your heart hard? Are you formulating questions and concerns? Are you projecting your hurts and issues and anger? Are you too busy? Friend, listen to the parable. The king is calling. Answer the invitation. Second, though, make sure you go to the wedding in the right clothes. Jesus said there was a man who showed up at the wedding because he wanted to be involved, but he, only, he wanted to be there on his own terms. This is, this is scary. 
Again, there's an internal dress and there's an external dress that's appropriate for this. First, the internal. The internal is faith. The brother of Jesus, James, would say this. You show me your faith apart from works. I'll show you my faith by my works. The internal dress is faith. The external is works. Let's talk about the internal for just a second. These are the clothes of righteousness of Christ. We sang about it in several songs today. We have to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, which means there's no self-justification. There's no excuse-making. There's no dismissal of sin, the very things that put Jesus on the cross. Continual seeking to trust Christ is at the internal call, the dress that you have to have. You show up clothed in faith. I trust Christ. What's the evidence of that? That's the external, the works. Faith without works is dead. I put on the robes of justice and mercy and love and kindness and forgiveness and kindness and peace and patience, the fruit of the spirit, things that are true of the kingdom. My head and my hands are continually looking for ways to follow my king, reveal his kingdom on the earth. I show up in the attire of the kingdom. Faith and works. These are the clothes of righteousness that Jesus gives us. As our confession of sin said, it is a robe that we wear day in, day out, night in, night out. When I go to to work, when I go to Walmart, when I go to family, when I die, I want to be wound in this robe, which is the righteousness of Christ. If you will, take take your order of worship and turn back to page Six. We sang the song. It starts on page five. The, the song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. But I want to show you the last stanza on page six. Listen to what you just sang. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. The writer of this hymn is getting at this parable. The, 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 the invitation has been sent. The clothes have been offered. Will you come dressed in his righteousness alone? And then lastly, look over at the hymn we're going to sing at the end of the service on page nine. We're going we're to finish this morning within Christ alone. What, what is, what is, what is, what is, the benefit to you as you are clothed in this righteousness of Christ, invited to his banquet, the last stanza. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. These both reflect exactly what Jesus' best friend, John, would say in Revelation 19. Listen to this as we come to the table. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. 
It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So friend, if you hear the invitation, go. And make sure you go in the righteousness of Christ. Amen? All right, let's pray and come to the Lord's table together. Father, I pray that as your words pierced hearts in the first century in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, I pray that now in 2023, your words would pierce the hearts of your people. If there be any in this room that have yet to accept the invitation to come, I pray they would come. I pray that they would delay no longer. They would find no more excuses. They would come and receive the call. Lord, I pray that all of us would remember today the only attire appropriate for this banquet is the righteous robe of Jesus. So Lord, let us lay down our pride. Let us lay down our efforts. Let us lay down our anxieties and fears and put on afresh this robe that is the Lord Jesus Christ's righteousness. So as we come to this table, I pray that we would taste, see, and remember what this righteousness is about. Your body given for us, your blood shed to wash away our sins. And so, Father, as we come to this table, we pray now as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.